talk about parenting. Some of you are parents. You have kids. It's directly applicable to your life. Some of you are grandparents. I hope that one of the things we'll talk about this morning is how the role of a parent is not all that different than the role of a grandparent, and so I hope you see how this applies to you. Some of you are not parents, and maybe someday you will, or maybe someday you won't be, but there are young people in your life that you need to influence for the gospel, and I hope that some of the things we talk about this morning are helpful in that way for you. Some of you are kids, and we are going to talk about kids. Uh, The emphasis is going to be on parents but we're also going to talk to grade school kids, middle school kids, high school kids, and what your obligation is as a kiddo. There are some notes in your bulletin. You can follow along in what we're going to discuss. And maybe a good place to start would be the idea that Murphy's Law does, in fact, go, to, go along with parenting. It applies to parenting. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. If you're a parent, you know that's true. You know it's reality that leak-proof cups leak. Everywhere. And you know that the phone that you go buy your teenager this week is definitely going to be on sale next week. You know that anything that can go wrong will go wrong. You know that sickness is more common when you go on vacation than when you're home and nothing is going on. Just plan a vacation. Somebody's about to get sick. Things go wrong all the time when you're a parent. And whether you think that that's true or not true or whether you're frustrated by that or not, all of us need to step back and say, what does the Bible have to say about parenting? What wisdom do I need to have when it comes to raising my kids or influencing my grandkids or thinking about the things that I need to put in, my, in place in my life now so that when I do have kids, I'm ready to raise those kids in a God-honoring way? I think that you know that our culture is confused about a lot of things. And one of the things that we're definitely confused about is the concept of parenting. And I put this in your notes. I think the history of American family sitcoms illustrates our evolving, or maybe we should say devolving, views about the family. Now, I'm going to put some pictures up here and ask you to think about some TV shows. And I'm not trying to knock your favorite show. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty about watching TV. I just want you to think about this progression with me, okay? Let's dial it way back when the TV actually had a dial on it. How many of you remember watching these shows, not on reruns, but when they actually came out? Yeah, you guys, you know what's going on. These are just sort of classic American family TV shows, And they present sort of a, I guess what we may call today a safe, calm view of what the family ought to look like and how parents ought to relate to children. And you watch them today and they just seem like they're otherworldly, like they these people just lived in a time and a place that has nothing to do with where we're at today. So now let's jump into the 70s. How many of you remember watching one of these shows? We've got the Brady Bunch, we got Happy Days, and we got All in the Family. You remember watching these live? Anybody? Okay, a few more hands going up now. Now look, most of what you see here is still relatively safe. There's still strong parental figures in a lot of senses. But one thing you begin to see as you move down the road of TV shows is that the parents start to become the butt of more jokes. And the children become more enlightened in the television show. And the parents begin to come off as, let's just be honest, dumb. As not quite as with it as the kids. And you see this beginning to happen. And what you see begin to happen in the 70s accelerates when you jump into the 80s. And we have shows like this. 
Now, you say, well, that's one of my favorite shows. Oh, I love that show. And I recognize that in some of these shows, there's some bright spots. There's some things that you can look at and grab hold of and say, you know, this is good. This is, this is helpful for me in some sense. But I also hope you see that as we move down the road, parents are becoming dumber and dumber and dumber. And we're exper- ex- expecting less of our parents as we go down this road. And at this point, you may be thinking to yourself, well, What's really happening here as a society? Is life imitating art or is art imitating life? Maybe these TV shows aren't training us poorly. Maybe they're just reflecting what's happening in our culture. I don't know which one is which. I don't know if these TV shows are imitating the the change in our culture or if the change in our culture is imitating what we indoctrinate ourselves with from the television screen. Either way, we're moving in the wrong direction, okay? So we've gone from the 70s, the 80s. Now let's just jump to the 90s. I don't know how you feel about these shows, but these two shows dominated the 90s. And you know what they have in common? No parenting. This is what we fed on as a society when we sat down in the 90s to watch television. I can't tell you how many times I've gone on a mission trip And I've talked to somebody overseas, and they speak perfect English. And I say, how in the world did you learn to speak English so well? And you know what they say to me? I've watched every episode of Friends ten times. I just watched them over and over. I didn't read a book. I didn't take a class. I just watched Friends, and I learned how to speak English. And unfortunately, a lot of us watched these shows and learned how to be selfish. We learned that life really just revolves all around us, and we don't want anything that's going to slow us down or or cramp our style, so to speak. And I'm just going to stop there. I'm not going to jump into the 2000s. I'm not going to jump into where we're at today. I just want you thinking about this progression, and I want you to acknowledge the fact that today we have the mess you see in so many reality television shows because in part, as a society, We devote an incredible amount of time to sitting in front of a screen, watching pretend people live their life on television, and that teaches you something. Whether you realize it or not, it teaches you something. And you look today at the mess, the chaos that that takes place on reality television, you say, how did we get from the Waltons to The Bachelor? How did we move? Well, we didn't move it in one jump. And it didn't happen in one year. It was a slow slide to where we're at today. And look, we could, we could throw rocks all day long at reality TV. In my house, we, we're in the stage of life where we watch a lot of Disney movies. And let's just be honest. In most Disney movies, the kids are the heroes and the parents are part of the problem. And you say, well, for real. The kids are the hero and the parents are part of the problem. The parents typically offer absolutely nothing to the solution of the the plot crisis in a typical Disney movie. The kids are the ones who come through in some way. All of this shapes the way that we think about parenting. And I don't care what your family background is, if you had good parents or lousy parents. I don't care what your life situation is now, if you feel like you're doing a good job or you feel like you're really struggling. All of us need to just step back and be honest and say, okay, God has given us a book in the Bible that is just about wisdom, how to be a wise person. And maybe it would behoove us just to stop and to listen to that book, to be willing to admit where maybe we've made mistakes, and just say, I need wisdom when it comes to this issue of being a parent or even being a grandparent. Now, we're going to jump in and talk about some things. I want to give you two disclaimers. 
contrary to what I think most of you believe, I was not a perfect child growing up. And contrary to what many of you believe, I am not a perfect parent now, okay? There are plenty of days where I look at my wife and I say, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say to that. I don't know how to respond to that. Or I look at my wife and say the way I I handled that or responded to that was terrible, lousy. I just totally blew that situation. You say, well, great. We get to take advice from a guy who knows absolutely nothing about parenting. The good news is I'm not coming to you with Landon's tips on parenting. I'm just coming to you saying, look, I've read through the book of Proverbs, and this is what God says. So my shortcomings should in no way prevent you or me from listening to what the book of Proverbs says. Secondly, as I look around the room at some of you gray heads, I think... Some of you have been parents longer than I've been alive on planet Earth. And some of you, I know, I know this because I've had conversations with you. Some of you know more about parenting. Some of you have forgotten more about parenting than I'll ever know in my life. And I acknowledge some inexperience. But again, inexperience shouldn't stop us from listening to what the Word of God says and from just saying, okay, if this is what Proverbs says is the obligation and the responsibility of the parent. The messenger is really irrelevant. Our job is to shape our lives according to how God's word is calling us to live as parents. So here we go. What does God expect of parents? Several simple thoughts. We'll just try to be direct and blunt. Number one, parents should teach their children wisdom. Parents have the obligation, the responsibility to teach their children wisdom. If you have your Bible out and you like to flip around and look at these verses, you can look at Proverbs 1.8. There's sort of an introductory couple of verses to the whole book, and then Proverbs 1.8 says this, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Okay? We could go all the way through the book of Proverbs and just stop all the way through it, chapter after chapter after chapter, and those sorts of words are used. It's not the only time you read them in Proverbs. They show up dozens and dozens of times. And what I want you to see is this. The book of Proverbs begins with the assumption that parents will teach their children. And we're not talking about teach them how to use a toilet. It's important. They need to know that, but that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about how to use a spoon. I think as a parent, that's been the most frustrating thing in my life, is teaching my kids how to use a spoon. I'm type A, and I don't like messes, and it's terrible. But you're going to have to teach them that. That's not what we're talking about. They need to know how to swim. They need to know how to ride a bike. They need to know how to spell their name and memorize their phone number and all that sort of good stuff. But the book of Proverbs is saying, from a just foundational level, There is this assumption that parents are going to teach their children about wisdom. Parents, grandparents, you will never be able to teach your children something that you don't have. You will never be able to explain to them and show them in the Word of God something that you don't know for yourself. And Proverbs is laying a heavy weight on your shoulders. I understand that. It's saying to you, it is your job to teach your kids this book. It's your job. The church, we have some responsibility. 
Okay? When your kids are here, we're going to do our best to drum it into their heads. But the book of Proverbs doesn't start there. The book of Proverbs starts at home, and it says, your job, parents, is to teach your kids wisdom. You have the, the obligation, parents, the responsibility, to teach your kids how to fear God. That's wisdom, right? Fearing God, knowing God's will, and living in light of God's will. That's what wisdom is. So parents, you have the obligation to teach your kids who God is in such a way that they fear God. You have the obligation to teach your kids what God's will is for their life, not in some mystical sense where all their, their decisions are spelled out for them, but what does the Scripture say is God's will for your life and how to actually live in light of that. That's our biblical definition of wisdom. Fearing God, knowing his will, and living your life in light of his will. That's what Proverbs is calling you to teach them. And some of you have already hit the brakes. You've hit the brakes and you've said, hey, I didn't go to Bible college. I don't have a seminary degree. Some of you hit the brakes already and you said, my parents didn't do that for me and I have absolutely no idea how to do it for my kids. To which I would say, well, then don't. And your kids will grow up and have absolutely no idea how to do it for your grandkids. And then your grandkids will grow up and they'll have absolutely no idea how to do it for your great-grandkids. This is your obligation, first and foremost, to teach your kids how to be wise. Number two, parents should discipline their kids. This is one of the ideas we talked about earlier as we had our families making those commitments Parents should discipline their children. I got four verses I pulled out. Let's look at these verses. I'll put them on the screen. Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs twenty two fifteen says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Two more. Proverbs 23, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he won't die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his, his soul from Sheol. And then lastly, Proverbs 29, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will be a delight. He will give delight to your heart. Look, all the way through Proverbs, you read about the rod, the rod, the rod. And I know that's a little bit of a touchy subject for people today, so let me just say a couple of things. Number one, when the book of Proverbs talks about the rod, it is talking about corporal punishment. Spanking, whooping, bustings, whatever you call them in your house, that's what we're dealing with. And in using that particular image, the book of Proverbs is saying to parents, this is a legitimate form of discipline, right? It's got to be done with self-control, and some parents don't exercise self-control when they do it. It's got to be done for the right reasons. And some parents just do it because they're ticked off. That's not good enough. It's got to be done up to a certain point. At some point, your kids are too big to bust. And you've got to figure that out in your family. But the book of Proverbs is saying this is one of the ways, by using this image, this is one of the ways that you should discipline your kids. Listen, it's not the only way. And really, when you read through Proverbs, this image of the rod comes up over and over again, not just to talk about bustings, beat the snot out of them, but to talk about discipline. So look, a lot of us are on Facebook, and we like to post things on Facebook. And from time to time, somebody will get on Facebook. Usually, they're a little bit older, 
And they'll post something that says, you know, like a picture of some kid getting the snot beat out of his backside. Say something like, 99% of the world's problems if we just would, would go away, if we just go back to this. And what they mean is, if we just had more parents that would bust their kids every now and then, that would fix a lot of problems. Okay, I'm not going to like that post when you post it, but I kind of agree with it. I think it's an issue. Can I tell you what I see as a bigger issue? among parents a complete lack of expectation that your kids will do what you tell them to do you see this all the time I see it all the time I see it with people who come to church I see it with people who never walk in the door of a church I see it at restaurants I see it at Walmart you see it when the the kids having a total meltdown and parents will say something to the kid and the kid never hears them never and the parent After they've said, do this or stop doing that, and the kid doesn't do it, the parent does absolutely nothing. And you're thinking, huh, rookie, look at this guy. You got to pick your battles, preach. You can't win them all. Pick your battles, that's fine. But don't teach your kids that they don't have to do what you tell them to do. And the book of Proverbs is saying to you, there has got to be consequence There's got to be discipline. There's got to be shaping in the character of these young people. You can't change their heart, but your responsibility is to shape them and to change them in such a way that they understand, this is out of bounds, I'm not going to do this, and I know that if I go this way, there's going to be a consequence. So you're going to teach your kids, and you're going to discipline your kids. Number three, you're going to model godly behavior for your kids. You're going to model godly behavior for them. I've got two verses for us to look at here. Let's look at Proverbs 20, verse 7. It says, The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. Why are they blessed? Because they can look back at their father or their mother and they can see somebody who was righteous and walking with integrity. They have a living, breathing example of what it means to fear God and to know his will for your life and to actually live in light of that. That's a blessing to your kids. Now look at the flip side of that in Proverbs 31. We're talking about mothers specifically in Proverbs 31. It says, her children will rise up and call her blessed. You go back and read everything that came before verse 28. The reason those children rise up and call their mother blessed is because she's done everything a godly mother is supposed to do. She's worked hard. She's taught. She's helped provide for her family. She's disciplined her kids. She's set a godly example for them. She's done all of these things, and her children turn around. They're not the blessed ones in this passage, but she's the blessed one for setting that example. And that blessing is really a two-way street. The job of the parent is to model godly behavior for your children. Some of you hear that, and you think, I've already blown it. I blow it all the time. What do you mean model godly behavior for my kids? I'm a mess. How do you expect me to do this for my children? Okay, two thoughts. Number one, it is your job to show your kids what a godly person does in everyday life, in everyday ordinary situations. You have that responsibility, and that's something you need to strive toward. On the flip side of that, part of being a godly person is repenting of sin when you commit it. And one of the things your kids and your grandkids need to see from you is repentance. When you blow it, not if, when we blow it, 
Your kids need to see you model repentance for them. That's part of how you model godliness. Not just in being this perfect parent that never messes up, but being able, when you mess up, to say, that was a, that was a disaster. And I'm sorry. And it was wrong before God, and it was wrong to you, and I'm asking for your forgiveness in that. Parents and grandparents, if you don't teach your kids how to repent, they'll grow up and they'll have no clue how to do it. So we're modeling godly behavior for our kids. Now, I didn't put any of this on the notes, but I just want to point out the obvious. We could very easily take that script and we could flip it. Right? We've talked about the responsibility of parents. This is what parents are called to do. We could easily flip that on its head and say, what is the responsibility of children? And if we did that, the answer would be listen and obey and follow. Listen to the teaching of your parents Obey them when they tell you what to do and follow the godly example that they set for you. That's a good summary of what Proverbs expects of children. You say, what about the person who doesn't have godly parents? What should they do? The teenager, the young person who wakes up one day and realizes my parents do not fear God. They don't know a thing about his will for their life or my life. They put bread on the table, but they don't know much beyond that. The Bible says your job, if that's you, is to respect your parents, to honor them, and to find someone in life. Probably it's going to happen in a church setting that you can cozy up beside and look at them and watch them and listen to them and learn from them. And I'm not saying that you find a new parent, you ditch the old and you, you find somebody else. But I'm saying you find somebody who's wise and you get as close to that person as you can and you learn from them. So listen, obey, follow. It's the responsibility of kiddos. Anyone in the room who lives in a house that you don't pay for, you don't pay the mortgage, any kiddo, elementary kids, middle school kids, high school kids, college kids who still live at home with your parents, I'm talking directly to you, not to the grown-ups, not to the parents, I'm talking to kids. This is your obligation. There's no blanks for you to fill out, but you can just write it on the side of the notes. This is my job as a kid. Listen to my parents, obey them, follow the example that they set for me. Here's what's not an option, young people. Not an option. Middle school kids and high school kids, listen. It is not an option to come to church to get out your notes, fill out all the blanks, sing all the songs, then go home and act like a turd. It's not an option. It's not an option. You don't get to come and play church and do all these good things at church. Well, I'm going to youth camp. Well, I'm go- I went to Mission Arlington. Well, I'm going to do this. Well, I'm going to do that. And then go home and be disobedient and defiant and disrespectful. It's the primary way when you're a kiddo that you obey God is by submitting to the authority of your parents. And if your life is I'm going to go home and I'm going to do my own thing, regardless of what just happened at church, you just erased everything that just happened at church. It's all a joke. It's all a waste. The only person you're fooling is me, and I'm an easy person to fool. You're not fooling God in that. The responsibility of kids. Listen, obey, follow. Parents, I'm going to give you a freebie, okay? Proverbs 30, verse 17. Let's put it up on the screen. It says, The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. 
Some of you guys are already making plans for needlepoint. You're going to put it on the wall. You're going to paint it above the front door. I didn't know that was in there. I could have been using that all this time. Some of you have plans to go buy a pet raven and just put it in the living room. Just leave him there. Here we go. Here's the deal. Parents, you get to use that verse all you want. It's yours. It's in the Bible. If. 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 You do what you are called to do as a parent. No parent gets to shirk their responsibility and pretend like it's the church's job to do all that great stuff we talked about and then turn around and demand all of these things from their kiddos. Do they have to respect you? Yes, they do. Do they have to honor you? That's what the Bible says. But if you're a parent, don't play the game of using Bible verses against your kids if you're not going to do the very simple things that the Bible tells you to do, to teach your kids how to be wise, to discipline your kids, and to set a godly example for them. If you're not going to do that, then forget Proverbs 30, 17. Just scratch it out of your brain. Don't play the game of quoting Bible verses to your kids when you're not going to actually know them and live them and put them into practice in your own life. Two thoughts of application as we finish. This is for parents and this is for grandparents. Number one, wise children and grandchildren should be the highest goal of every parent and grandparent. That should be what you're striving for as a parent or a grandparent is that your kids or your grandkids are wise. Meaning, going back to our definition at the very beginning, wisdom is fearing God. Wisdom is knowing God's will for your life. And wisdom is actually living in light of God's revealed will. That's what wisdom is. And your highest goal as a parent has to be that. In this room, it's awful easy to nod your head and say, Oh, yeah, absolutely, amen. But then parents, grandparents, you leave this room and a thousand other temptations flood into your life. Well, I don't want them to be left out. I want them to be good at what they do. I want them to do well in school. I want them to go to college and get a certain kind of degree or have a certain kind of job or a certain amount of income. Well, I want them to be comfortable and successful in life. Well, I don't want them to have to worry about money. Well, I want them to be the best at the athletic things that they participate in or the academic things that they participate in. And as soon as you walk out these doors, the temptation hits to take a million other things and to make that your highest goal. And every now and then as a parent, me, you, grandparents, all of us, we just need to stop and back up for a second and look at life and say, what, what am I actually chasing for my kids? I have a limited amount of time to invest in them. What am I investing in them predominantly, mostly, most heavily? Look at what the Bible says in Proverbs 10, verse 1. It says, the Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son makes a glad father. Not a great athlete. Not a kid who has a college degree. Not a kid who fulfills all the things in life that you never got the chance to fulfill. But a son who is wise, a daughter who is wise... A foolish son is sorrow to his mother. 
your highest goal as a parent has to be wise children. In a couple of weeks, we're going to wrap this series up and we're going to come full circle. We're going to talk directly about Jesus. But let me just cut to the chase and say this. The end game for you as a parent has to be, I want my kids to grow up and love Jesus more than anything else in the world. That has to be the center. That has to be the filter that all the decisions you make for your kids and your grandkids gets filtered through. Is this going to help my kid or my grandkid love Jesus more than anything else? Meaning, they got to fear God. They've got to. They've got to know who he is in his holiness, and they've got to recognize their own sinfulness. And when they feel who God is and who they are deep in their bones, it's going to create a problem. And the only solution to that problem is Jesus, who lived a life of obedience and died on the cross for our sins. I want them to look to Jesus, not just to make their high school years better, not just to make everything easy for them, but I want them to look to Jesus for life. I want him to be the treasure that they find buried in the field and they give up everything else in their life gladly, joyfully to get that one treasure. And I want them to know God's word and what it means and how to read it and how to understand it and how to apply it. I want them to know his will for their life. Not his will should you go to this college or that college, but should I sin or not? And what does that actually look like in my life? You want them to actually live these things, not just be a bunch of answers they've got stored up in their brain, but something that actually gets lived out in their life. That's what we're talking about when we say wisdom, wise children, wise sons, wise daughters has to be the highest aim. It can't come second. It's got to be number one. The last thought is this. Parents and grandparents should never underestimate the power of their influence. Don't underestimate the power of your influence. Even if you got off to a late start, even if you've got off to 10 late starts, even if you feel like you've messed it up, do not underestimate the power of your influence. God did not design the world so that the government would teach your kids how to grow up and be wise. God did not design the world so that this church would teach your kids how to grow up and be wise. We have a role to play in that, but our role is coming alongside you. God designed this world so that parents and grandparents would be the ones who teach their kids how to grow up and how to be wise, how to fear God, how to know God, how to know his will. Proverbs 22.6, some of you thought of this verse immediately when we started this morning. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Some of you look at that verse, and that verse on a day like Mother's Day is a sad verse for you. Some of you look at that verse and you say, well, I thought I did that, and it doesn't look like God came through on his end of the bargain. And I I recognize that. And I recognize the fact that Proverbs 22.6 is not magic. It's not automatic. That's not what the Proverbs are anyways. The Proverbs are general descriptions of how you can expect life to work most of the time. And when you read the book of Proverbs, you see all these things. This is how life normally works. And then you read Job and you read Ecclesiastes and it all goes out the window. And you say, yeah, but sometimes it doesn't. And the fact that there are exceptions and the fact that that verse is painful for some of you doesn't negate the fact that it's generally true. Do the things that God has called you to do as parents and grandparents. It's not magic. It's not automatic. But this is what your expectation should be. That if you train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, 
He will not depart from it. There's a sociologist, his name is Christian Smith. He teaches at University of Notre Dame, and he's done several massive studies of young people in the United States. One of those studies uh, is published in a book called Soul Searching, and in that book, Soul Searching, he makes an argument. I read it several years ago. He says, the biggest predictor for what your kids will grow up and believe and how they'll live is what you believe and how you live. And he's not basing that off of Proverbs 22.6. He's basing that off of statistical research of thousands of families in the United States. And he's just looking at the numbers. And he says, this is the biggest indicator. It's not the only indicator, but it's by far, there is not even a close second, the biggest indicator to how your kids will grow up and believe and live is how you believe and live. Not how you believe and live one hour on Sunday mornings, but how you believe and live throughout the week. I read another book just this last week. I'm reading it with a group of pastor friends. A book's called Growing Young. They said the exact same thing. They say parents still carry the most important weight in their kids' faith development. This is true not only in childhood but also through adolescence. Research continues to affirm that the best predictor of a young person's faith is the faith of their parents. And again, they're not basing that off of a Bible verse. They're just basing that off of research, saying this is what we find when we look around at young people in the United States. You're not going to pass down to your kids the one or two things you want them to pick up during a Sunday morning worship hour. What you're going to pass down to them is what you really believe and how you really live. It's not the only factor in their faith development, but it's by far the biggest. And let me just show you some numbers to prove this to you. Let's say you're an all-in family at Emmanuel. You bring your kids or your grandkids to everything. Best case scenario in that situation is that we, in one calendar year, will have about 200 hours to influence your kids for the gospel. Over the course of a year, you're here for big church, you're here for Sunday school, you come on Wednesday nights, you're going to send them to camp, uh, terrific Tuesdays, all the things we do. I mean, you're all in. Best case, about 200 hours. In that same calendar year as parents, you're, as parents, you as parents are going to have about 3,000 hours. That's not sleeping time. I cut all that out. That's not when your kids are at school. If your kids go to school, we've cut all that out. 200 to 3,000. And if your strategy as a parent or a grandparent is, I'm going to get their heinies in church as much as possible, well, that's great. You've got 200 under your belt. I'm just begging you, don't give up the other 3,000 you've got in a year. Don't give them up. Don't underestimate the power of your influence, not just on a Sunday morning, but day in and day out. Some of you parents may be convicted by that. Some of you grandparents may say, I don't have 3,000 hours. Some of you grandparents look at it and you say, I'm under 200 hours in reality by the time it's all said and done. Let me just say this to grandparents. Don't underestimate the influence you have on your grandkids. Please don't. One of the things that I do as a pastor is I preach funerals. Sometimes for younger people, but oftentimes for older people. And when I preach those funerals, I meet with families, with kids, and with grandkids. And I sit across the table when grandma or grandpa's gone, and I listen to them talk about their grandparents. I'm just telling you, you have influence You may think it's small. You may think it's insignificant. You may think you don't have enough time. Grandparents, you have influence. 
over your grandkids. You may think that their face is glued to a screen and the earbuds are in and they're not listening. I'm just telling you on the flip side, they're listening. They're listening. Don't underestimate your influence. I'm going to ask you to bow and we're going to take a minute to pray.